Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, and those who don't subscribe to gender, welcome to Pot of the Dragon Podcast. It's a recap podcast after episode six of House of the Dragon. Spencer, House of the, House of the Dragon, episode six. We got the 10 year time jump. What did you think? I, it really did. You told me before that they had originally planned, the original writer planned that this would actually be the start of the series uh, and that George R. Martin kind of convinced him to do an extra five episodes to provide additional background. It felt like that. This felt like very much the start of a series. I don't mean that as a criticism. It was well acted. It was well paced. It set all the pieces in motion. But it was a little jarring in the sense that how much it was really restarting the restarting the entire pace of the series. Um, yeah. Yep. Sorry, your, your thoughts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it felt like the first five episodes was sort of like a like a prelude almost to like a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, where you get like a completely different time period, maybe some of the same characters, maybe not, but kind of a whole different thing going on. And then it jumps and now we're in the real story. And I think it, it I think it's going to be jarring for a lot of folks, but um, I also think it was probably what I worry about is that some of the things that happened in the episode aren't necessarily like emotionally impacting because like I care about Lena Valerian. But like, does the fucking casual care about Lena Valerian? Like, I'm, I'm not sure. We've not seen her very much. And then all of a sudden, bam, we see her. And then we have this epic end, which we'll talk about, you know, how they chose to do that. And the same thing with Harwin Strong, right? Like, we didn't get a lot of Harwin Strong before they fucking burned him to death. Like, so I just, I, I don't know if they've done, an, I know they've done enough to get us to care about Alicent Renera. I don't know if they've done enough to get us to care about some of the other characters or not. I, that's my worry. I think it's a fair worry, uh, particularly for like Lena of where how many actresses did we have of her before we got to the end? She was this was the third actress. This is the third, had? and then so the last two were one episode apiece. Yeah, it, it, it they did well enough for one episode to get us to care about the characters. Given that for both of these characters, effectively, this was their episode where we got to spend a little bit of time with them and see what they were about. I think they did it fairly well, but. As a result of this being a time jump going into this episode, we didn't have much build-up to it, which is unfortunate given how important these series series of events were. I think I think for a single episode, it was good. I mean, it was. I think this was the finest. This is the finest overall cast of acting we've had yet on the show. I'm very confident now that I've seen all these actors on the screen that they're going to kill it with respect to their roles. But the time jumps in the show have been a little bit problematic, and this felt, I think, the most jarring of one yet. Even if the episode itself stood well on its own. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is like, let's let's let, you know, well point, great point about the time jump. I think we're going to hear a lot about it. Would be my guess uh, is that the any critique of this season so far will probably be the time jumps and the pacing. But let's set that aside for just a second. What did you think of the episode, considering you know? We did start 10 years in, and then we got these events. Purely viewing it from its start to its end, I thought it was very well paced. I thought it was very well written. I thought it was very well acted. It covered a lot of important events. It had some of the more powerful scenes we've had yet on the show, and I think it deserves to be credited for that. I am curious to know whether you are satisfied with our final reveal of Vagar, though, which felt surprisingly matter-of-fact rather than built up. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, didn't, okay. need, I didn't need a big, like... You know, is that Vagar's music situation? I really didn't need that. Matter of fact, I love that they gave Vagar a different face. He looked more like a horse. He it, looked very different than the other dragons, which I appreciated. He looked much bigger than he or she looked, looked much, much bigger, bigger than the other dragons. I, I really appreciated that. I will say this, though. We, I mean, we, let's just say it. Lena's death is different in the books. 
Yes, it is. This is much. More I am of a, not sure my Vagar would do that. I, I'm a, I'm I'm really sort of torn on that that moment of how they <laughs> they chose because like obviously like what I think they were trying to convey. You tell me if you you took you got the same thing was that like it was like okay Vagar heard the command, saw Lena, knew what was happening, took a beat, thought, and said, "Okay, uh, this is the way she wants to go. I'll do it." It seemed like they were giving the dragon a lot more agency than maybe some of the other dragons get, which is okay for me. Cause I mean, I've always thought Vagar was one of the smartest dragons we have, but I'm not sure that the Vagar I know from the books would have, would have burned its own writer. That seems crazy. It, it very much. That's what they were going for of where they wanted to give her a certain degree of command over her own death and demise, rather than just be another woman that is dying on the show as a result of child work. Another woman who is having her, you know, overall control of her of her death taken away from her so i understand why they did that and it was an impactful scene uh in that regard i also agree with your interpretation of agar where it seemed like we got to see a certain amount of questioning and doubt and second guessing by a dragon here with respect to a command from its rider which was interesting would vagar do this well, we never got to see Vagar do anything like this in the books, so it's no. hard to say. We've not, I'm just, just not sure Vagar would burn its own dragon. I mean, Dra- Vagar's had multiple dragon riders at this point. Yes, it knows the deal mm-hmm. better than the probably probably better than Lena does. Like it's it's almost like that type of horse where, you know, the person who's never ridden a horse before, you always give it like the very experienced horse, and then they get on, and the horse is kind of like. Yeah, like, yeah, I know you told me to go right now, but, like, I'm not going to This is the better thing to do. Exactly. Like, that's how Vagar always seems to me. It would be shocking to me that Vagar would burn its own rider. That that seems a little nuts. But I'll tell you this. Dramatic moment. (laughs) I don't actually know offhand. Have we had a self-immolation by means of dragon before? No. no, That's the first thing I thought of. I was like, is there any precedent for a dragon burning its own rider? Even on command. And no. Nowhere in the books does this occur. Okay, it's an it's an addition. Uh, I'm not certain how I feel about it. Yet. I'm I think I'm I think I'm going to ultimately be more in favor of it than you are. But we'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the difference in how Emma Darcy acted, Renera? Because there was a stark difference in how she uh, how they acted it. I very much liked the the changes to the characters felt very realistic for the 10 year gap and where we last left them both for Rhaenyra and for Alicent of where I can clearly still see the characters there, but I can see the effect of 10 years of maturity, childbirth, stresses of office and everything else upon them and how they've adjusted in that regard. I thought Emmett Arcee knocked it out of the park with respect to the role and what she's bringing and her own having to accept the weight of office and the dangers of being the heir upon her. We've been talking how frustrating it was for Rhaenyra to not take seriously her role and her duties and what was necessary for her to do with respect to claiming her position, you know, her goal of the Iron Throne. This is the Rhaenyra that is now doing that. She isn't happy with any of it. She hates it. But she's doing what's necessary, finally. And on the same token, we've got Alicent, who's very much playing the role of her father. She even gave her oldest son a very similar speech, the one that we last saw from her father. And it's killing her. The stress is visibly breaking her apart, which is great. I, th- I thought the new actress really, really felt like you know the last actress's older sister in terms of how, in terms of how she played the role and the mannerisms and the intense pressures of the office upon her. Yeah, um, it, we'll we'll struggle with the pronouns, but I think I think it's actor with Emma Darcy. Sure. Of that. Yes. Yeah, My I mean, apologies. I, I don't. Uh, the, it's gonna. You know, we're we're doing our best. Sorry. Yes. Um, so 
uh, I, I thought that the way Emma Darcy acted Rhaenyra was very different. I did not expect how Rhaenyra was a little bit more prickly with Lainor than I expected. Um, I thought they had a little bit more of a more friendly collegial sort of relationship. That's what I got from the books that they were really sort of a partnership and they, they released this little one minute clip of Lainor helping her, you know, take the baby up to Allison, which was basically just a super transparent, like is the baby black thing. That's all that was obviously. And it seemed like they were sort of this partnership, but the whole rest of the episode, save for the very end, she's sort of like, really antagonistic to Lenore. I didn't expect that. It it, it worked for me, though. It, and I, cause it wasn't really him, necessarily. He wasn't helping the position because he was constantly trying to find ways to get away from home and anything else along those lines. But it seemed more that she was snapping at him as a result of the pressures that she was getting from the rumors that were spreading in court with respect to Harwin Strong. And by the end of the episode, when those rumors had effectively left and she decided the best thing that they could do was, you know, exit stage right themselves, she immediately gives him a bone. She immediately says, we're leaving, we're going together, I'm heeding your advice, and oh yeah, make sure to bring your paramour with you. Which all really felt like an apology on her part of, I know I was a dick this episode to you, I'm sorry, let's get, what, let's get okay. out of here all together. Yeah, alright, you know what, that makes sense. That, that, that I like the framing there. She, she was feeling pressure, she was snapping at him, and at, at the end, they, they just kind of threw him a bone. They reference that, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. And, so and, maybe, it, maybe they a little bit more, they, they maybe still are more of a team than maybe I was getting this episode, simply because she was in a position of extreme stress. In terms of relative teams, I think uh, uh, Rhaenyra and Lenor are doing quite a bit better than Alicent and Viserys are right now. I'll tell you, this Viserys, uh, fascinating on screen but not the Viserys that I know from the books. Is it, you know, I understand why George now said this is just a sh- the show canon, basically. The show's doing something different because mm-hmm. it's a very fascinating character. But Viserys in the books says, if I hear one more person question the parentage of my daughter's children, I will take their tongue. I don't care if they're royalty or not. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll take it. Basically what he was saying is I will take the queen's fucking tongue if she does this again. Mm-hmm. That Viserys is very different than what we saw. Because what we saw was a guy going, oh, shucks, can't we get along? Come on, guys. Yeah, th- this is a Viserys that has been in his twilight years for about the last decade and really just wants everybody to start cooperating so we can, so, because even standing so is a trial to him right now. Yes. He wants to secure his legacy. He wants all of his children and family to get along so he can be comfortable dying, secure in the thought that the Targaryens will last another hundred years. It's all he wants, and he is just desperate for everyone to cooperate so he can just die. I sent you that quote from Viserys. From I know, uh, and you were hoping for it. You're not going to get it. I was really hoping he would tell Allison, like, if you do that shit again, I'm going to take your tongue out. But he clearly it's a very different character. Uh, Let's talk about the Allison Hightower uh, um, character. Uh, All up until now, every time I mention the Hightowers, obligatory contractually obligated say hate the high towers fuck the high towers don't like the high towers i think now the crowd can do it with me i think all of our fans can do it with me because i'll tell you that's a hateable fucking character they put on screen this episode allison hightower of the books welcome to the party we've missed you so much she fucking sucks doesn't she folks well and, and i appreciate that they've made the allison hightower we know with the books a transition of the character and a, re- a realistic one, too. We saw the elements of that 10 years ago, and now with 10 years of basically assuming her father's mantle to protect herself without her father's there, yeah, she is a very deeply 
conniving, unpleasant, manipulative person. That is what she feels now she has to do to survive because she has adopted a under siege mentality that she can never lose. Because I love that we got to see Rhaenyra's marriage offer in this episode because it just so thoroughly laid out how sensible it was. Got to see to say, hey, let's marry our houses. We can bury the hatchet. And everyone at the table goes, genius. Wonderful idea. And she basically says... I will not marry my children to that ba- 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 uh, child with baseboard features. Yes. <laughs> and essentially told the king, get fucked. You're yeah. not doing it. If, when I'm, I'm dead, it'll happen. That's what it, she. That's literally what she says to him. By the way, not happening in the books. But yeah, fascinating. Uh, that, the very hateable fucking character. Uh, um, Kristen Cole stepped into his hateableness quite a bit this episode, too. Dropping a C word in front of the queen. He's super comfortable with her, isn't he? Well, it... I was worried last episode that he would just be entirely just an attack dog. He is. But he is an attack dog that has a certain degree of vengeance in his own heart and a certain degree of malevolence about him, too. Independent of the queen. Just, you know, expressing it on her side. And yeah, he used a lot of opportunities just to be a deeply, deeply partisan green with a desire to, you know, humiliate, hurt, and harm all he could with respect to Rhaenyra's house. Yeah, he really sucks. Uh, I do appreciate that they gave... And the obviously we're only going to get one encounter between Sir Chris Nicole and Harwin Strong. They let Harwin Strong get the better of him. Does not happen in the books. Sir Chris Nicole kicks his ass in the books. I appreciate that because it, Harwin gets a W before he gets burned alive. So well, that's it, nice. He gets a W and an L at the same time because Cole was purposely baiting him to do that. Oh, oh of course. Yeah, but I, I, I just didn't. I My pride. I didn't want to see broken bones. I didn't yes. like that. I didn't like. I never liked that part of the story. That always frustrated me. Yeah, I mean, we got to see Harwin... In a great light, this episode. I mean, the guy had five, you know, we, this is the one episode we got to see a lot of his screen time. And he was a real, the actor did very well with the role, and I felt a lot of degree of sympathy and complexity with respect to how he was expressing himself. And I liked him, and I'll miss him. I will certainly miss both him and his father in terms of characters in this story. They both did a great job with their roles and were wonderfully portrayed, very similar to how I imagined them in the books. And it will be a shame to have them gone. What I was not expecting was that we would get a very clear answer as to why they were gone. And this is indeed one of the theories that's thrown around. It's usually pretty far down the list in terms of options, though. All right. So we're, can we can, I mean, this, we don't need to wait till the full recap. We can award worst person in Westeros to Larry Strong. Clubfoot, worst person in Westeros. Congratulations on your award today, sir. I think he's actually here to accept it. This is like one of the people that actually shows up for the for the golden raspberries to collect their award. I think he's here right now. Hey, he's on stage. He's the t- he's uh, he's the type of shitty that's like terrifying. He's the shit. He's terrifying. He's like, what is he? He's fucking Varys, Littlefinger, and then maybe like I don't know, Stannis, all mixed into one. He's a fucking scary character. I did not when I read the book, and I you know obviously learned of the fire at Hall. Under no circumstance that I think Larry's clubfoot did that. That, that really and, surprised me. And then, there, of course, Lena's death at the end really surprised me, too. I mean, we, we, knew Lena was gonna, we knew Lena was not long for the earth. The moment I saw she was pregnant, I was like, oh, she, I don't think she's making it out of this episode. But the fire at Hall, we knew it was going to happen at some point. It's a very sure. important part of it. But there's a long list of possibilities that people ponder with respect to who caused it. Even in text, they're pondering what could have caused it. Was it just, you know, the curse of Black Heron? Was it Viserys, the fir- was it Viserys himself who ordered it? Viserys to, could know? have done it, yeah. That's a, po- that's a very popular theory, just, you know, to fully banish the rumors. 
was it actually Rhaenyra that did it? That's another popular theory, just to, you know, fully cut off any possible challenge to the parentage of her children. Allison is rumored to possibly do it, but no one's ever really connected, or at least it's not as common to connect Larry Strong to it himself to murder his own family. Kinslaying. And he does it with just such a casual little smile on his face. It's like, oh my queen, I understood between, I could read between the lines. I knew exactly what you wanted. Don't worry. I'll accept your reward in time. And I'm going to go back to sniffing this flower, because that's apparently my trope I do in every scene I'm in. And then she looks at him like, what kind of fucking monster do I have here? But, but, because, fuck the hot towers, hate the hot towers, nobody likes the hot towers, will not dismiss him, because she's like, I can use this. I can use this in the future. I just need to, I just need to be a little bit more careful about what I say. For for a woman who was, like, lecturing Rhaenyra on the purposes of decorum and maintaining, you know, the standard the standards that are expected of us all let's consider her two allies in this episode Kristen Cole which I'm gonna say I'm frustrated that we just did a time jump there I told you they wouldn't not yeah, bother to explain right. that at you're all right. uh, but Kristen Cole a guy who got the job for her after murdering somebody on the floor of a wedding hall uh, violating all rules with with respect to guest right that's one and now Larry Strong, who just committed kinslaying. The two biggest crimes in Westeros are the ones that she has shackled her ship to. And apparently now we're going to call Otto back because Lionel Strong. By the way, Lionel Strong deserved better. Did, uh, did absolutely. absolutely deserved better. Absolutely. What a shitty way for him to have to go. Uh, I, I, I was a little bummed that we never got to see any sort of uh, warmness or maybe like a, even like a romantic scene between Rhaenyra and Harwin Strong because she really we, you know, we got a they, little they made it perfect like in the books it's a little bit more ambiguous it's perfectly clear in the show that they're sure. Harwin's children I just wish that we would we'd have got a little bit more time with the two of them but I guess they had to they're moving they're moving I, fast they're, they're moving I did like the scenes we got of them though the scenes once they were alone in a room together when like when he was holding the baby or when he was saying goodbye were surprisingly tender for just the little bit we got of them both driven by very very quality acting on the part of both of the actors with respect to that uh so that that was well done a uh, question for you um how do you feel uh, just because you, you we've always been talking about vagar on the screen one thing i really liked about vagar is how much he in some ways she in some ways looked like viserys uh in terms of that aged pockmarked yes. skin kind yep. of effect there seemed to be a bit of a common element done there, and I think that is a genius decision to pick this hoary, crusty, can fly when it damn well feels like a dragon, and also the agent dying king in sort of parallel, particularly given his willful estrangement from dragons and dragon riders. Yeah, I mean, Viserys, or Vagar kind of looks like, and, you know, I saw this in, I, I saw a dragon in the trailer that I thought was Vagar and ended up being Vagar. It looks like sort of just chiseled out of stone. It looks like yes. like a very, like like basically some of the blocks from the Pyramid of Giza just sort of formed together and created a dragon. That, because it's like, it, it, it no bright colors. It's like an old, what? like kind of brownish color yeah. almost. It almost looks dusty. Yeah, I, I loved when uh, uh, Lady Lena walked up to it when its eye was closed. And for a moment, you couldn't tell if it was actually a dragon or if it was like a, a, a clip, a piled rock slide that was right there next to it. Just because it looked like it was part of the landscape. And then it opens its eyes. It looks like, oh, shit, there's a dragon there. This is like the stone dragon that Melisandre imagines that she can wake up at the wall or at Dragonstone if she can just sacrifice somebody with uh, the king's blood at any given time. They did a phenomenal job 
sh- making the dragons look different because obviously oh, yeah. in the original series all three look alike we've we, there is canon reasons they all three look alike by the way um, because they're all from the same clutch of eggs but all these dragons look different Vagar looked very different i was very happy with the depiction of Vagar. i also like the opening scene it's so clear how big Vagar is and i knew they succeeded because my wife who knows nothing about any of these dragons when she saw the saddle on Vagar and saw the just the Dwarfed. size, she went, oh, like she kind of went, like, oh, oh, it was like taken yeah. back. And I was like, okay, they've succeeded with showing what? the size of Vagar. So good job. Question I got to ask, because, you know, I hate all child actors, just uh, despise them, you know, want to throw them off a cliff, all kinds of things. How did you feel about the child actors in this episode? We got a bevy of them. We've got, you know, uh, what? what Jacaris and we, uh, Abe. We've got seven new child actors, ignoring the babies, but seven ones that actually had lines this episode. How'd you feel? Honestly, I thought they all did well. I I, I I did too. Yeah, I thought they all did good. I mean, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't give them a lot, right? And what they gave them was they were conservative, which is a good call. And by the way, anybody anybody wondering like what the fuck is this Aegon doing? Like basically jerking off onto the city. That is very Aegon. Let me tell you. He's just being Aegon. Like, that, just get used to it, it, folks. This is Aegon things right now. The man does this every morning. Get used to it. Okay, so we're going to wrap up here. Spencer, I want to get any parting thoughts on the episode. Sort of the, you know, we always like to talk about the quality of the episode, how it fits in with the others. Is this, with the time jump, new actors, uh, better or worse than what you were seeing before? Where does it fit in? I'm going to judge it as a first episode, because I think that's the really fair way to judge it. It's halfway through a show, but it's very much setting off its own arc. I thought it was a great first episode. I think it was as good as the first episode that started our first arc beforehand. I thought it set up our new characters. I thought it set up our world. I thought it set up the tension. And it very much put in place that the realm is falling apart in rapid order and it is driven by the actions of a few individuals. I, that, that's what it needs to do before this season wraps up. And we got some wonderful visuals, some quality acting, and a whole new cast of characters that leave me confident that this show knows how to cast and these people know how to bring the actual text to the screen in a way that is surprisingly well done and appealing. There we go. All right. Positive. I, I also, uh, I'm having trouble fitting it in with the previous episodes, but I can tell you I was absolutely fascinated and really enjoyed the episode it's going to take a little while for me to decompress and we will do that and we will be back with you on tuesday with our tuesday or wednesday sometime in that frame and we will do our full review of the episode breaking it down beat by beat so thanks everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll be back with you later in the week